reading from uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the name, in the sight of the elders of Israel. Well, friends, we're looking at uh, this uh, very interesting chapter, I have to say, and a very familiar chapter, I'm sure, uh, to you uh, in Exodus chapter 17. The children of Israel have been moved on yet again. They camp from one camp to another. Uh, they've moved on from the wilderness of sin. And now uh, they come uh, to Rephidim. They're following, as we said before, and it's worth saying again. There's no harm repeating it. They're following the cloud. They're following the presence of the Lord. Wherever that cloud uh, leads them, well, they will go. And now it's led them here to Rephidim. So they're here at the commandment of the Lord. And we would say once again, isn't it, that we must be those who are followers of the Lord, as believers even. We must be those who are doing the will of God. When it comes to making the big decisions that we have to make in life, where am I going to live? Where am I going to study? Where, who am I going to marry? What job shall I do? Shall I leave my present job and go to another job? Shall I leave my church and go to another church? Well, all these are big decisions, and we dare not do it. Uh, we don't, dare not move unless we get the green light uh, from the Lord, unless we've prayed and sought the mind and the will of God over the matter. And only if He leads us on and uh, in providence directs our way, then uh, we are feel free uh, to go. Then we know that the Lord is moving. Otherwise, we stay put. Well, they came to this camp at Rephidim. They pitched here. And we, re we read, there was no water for the people to drink. The Lord had led them to a place where there was no water for the whole uh, uh, congregation of people. Two million people, men and women, boys and girls, and all the cattle, there was no water for them. 
it was a very real uh, difficulty and predicament uh, that they were in, that there was no water to satisfy, no water uh, for them uh, to quench their thirst. We all know uh, how, how much emphasis is placed in the media today on drinking water. And in our mild and temperate climate, we're still told to drink X number of liters a day. Well, how much more in a climate where the, it's hot and humid, you're meant to drink even more water, so they say, and, uh, and instructors. Well, they have no water. There's nothing uh, for, uh, for them. And they are feeling it, and that they've got nothing to quench their thirst. And uh, previously, when they were at Mara, well, there was water there, but it was bitter water. It was unpalatable. And the Lord had to make it drinkable uh, yeah. by uh, doing a miracle. But here, there's nothing. There's no water whatsoever. And this may be a surprise to us if we are unfamiliar with the way that the Lord works. This may come as a surprise. Why? Why did the Lord lead his people to a place where there is no water for such a, a vast congregation? Why lead them? Uh, is it really? Did he really lead them there? Or did the cloud, as it were, take a, a wrong turning? Uh, did, did Moses get things mixed up? Did the people get things messed up? No, friends. It was the Lord who deliberately led them to this particular place. He didn't take any wrong turning. This was a very deliberate act on the Lord's part. It's going to be a trial, once again, for the children of Israel. But the children of Israel, they didn't expect this. They didn't expect uh, that they would be brought to a place where there was no water. They expected to be well provided for. They expected the Lord uh, to provide an abundance from them. After all, water is the necessity of life. How can they live without water? Surely the Lord will provide for them. They never expected the Lord to bring them into this kind of situation. So their expectancy was, he's going to bring us into a good place where we are well provided for. And so once again, when they realize there is no water, they lash out at Moses in verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and uh, said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you chide with me? Uh, wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water and murmured against Moses, You've brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst, is it? Is that why you brought us out here? They question him. Well, you're our leader. In effect, they're saying, you brought us out of Egypt. Uh, you, uh, you should give us water. But Moses replies there saying, I didn't bring you out of Egypt. It was the Lord. I'm not withholding a water for, from you. And he adds there, why do you tempt the Lord at the end of verse 2? Why are you testing the Lord again? You, don't, you shouldn't be testing him. They were testing him in the sense that they were distrusting him. This was another trial for them. Just like before, the Lord has been teaching them that when they come across impossible situations, they are to pray. They are to depend upon him. They are to trust in him. 
They have to cry to him, and he will intervene. He will uh, reveal uh, his mighty power in helping them. They were not to panic, as they're doing now. So they were uh, putting God to the test by distrusting him, distrust, distrusting his power to help in this present distress, distrusting his providence that had brought them to that particular place. And they end up even saying, as we see in, in verse uh, 7, a little bit more in the way they tempted the Lord at the end of verse 7, they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is he really leading us here or not? Is his presence really with us or not? They began to doubt uh, these things. If he really was present with us, we wouldn't be in this predicament. We wouldn't be desperate uh, for uh, water. They'd so soon uh, forgotten about the manner, the way in which God had marvelously, miraculously provided manna from heaven from them and was still providing manna for them in front of their very eyes. And uh, the quails as well that were sent and that what he did for them at Mara in making those bitter waters sweet. They'd forgotten all those things. They doubt, they question whether God is among them or not, all because their present circumstances don't, doesn't match what they had expected. This is what we expected to happen to us, and this is the reality. This is our experience. And the two didn't tally. They didn't match. God wasn't exp uh, uh, acting in a way that they had expected him to. And friends, this is often the way the unbeliever thinks. I'm sure you have heard the argument, isn't it? Why does God allow all the suffering that is in this world? Why does God allow all these, uh, the miseries uh, that are happening? We expect, uh, they are saying, God to act in a certain way. We are expecting God to act like this. And when he doesn't act like this, in the sense that if the, with all the suffering and with all the sickness why, and all the pain that children have to go through, why is there cancer? Why are all these debilitating diseases terminal diseases? Why does he allow all these things? Why is there poverty in the world? Why are so many people suffering in this way? Why is there famine and all these disasters? If there is a God, he should intervene, shouldn't he? He should do something, isn't it? This is what they expect from God. And when God doesn't do that, as they expect him to do, then they say, well, is God among us? Is there really a God? We don't believe in him because he's not acting as we think he should act. And they're, they're sort of pigeonholing God into their own little box to act according to the way they think he should, uh, a, a, a way that they, they think he should. And uh, uh, they come to this conclusion, they can't be a God. They can't be a conscious being. They can't be a good God uh, because he wouldn't allow these things to happen. So this is the way that they are thinking. But the believer also may fall into the same trap. If we are brought as believers into terrible situations, if we have to face, for example, cancer in our own lives, well, that's, that's a terrible thing. Or the loss of a, a loved one uh, unexpectedly. Perhaps we also may be brought to question God and say, well, why has this happened to me? 
I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Why has it happened to me? Is God for me or is he against me? And we may be brought to think like that, but it's a trial, brethren. And if we are the Lord's, well, we must rest assured that he has permitted these things to happen and he has brought us into that particular place uh, to test our faith. He has allowed it to happen for a good reason, just like he brought the people uh, here into this place where there was no water. But there's something wonderful he's going to do. He's going to bring water out of the rock uh, for them. And if they hadn't come to that experience, if they just had water flowing naturally where in Rephidim, well, they wouldn't have had that marvelous miracle of the water flowing out of the rock. So also in our trials, surely it is, friends, we come to know the Lord better than if everything was just perfect and, and everything just went very smoothly in our lives. And we kept, uh, it's often the, 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 uh, the history, you read the history of uh, believers, you often see, this is what they say, uh, we think of John Bunyan in prison or Sammy Rutherford in prison, terrible situation that they were brought into, but they got to know the Lord better in those prisons. And uh, the Lord works in a marvelous and a wonderful way, things that we cannot fully under appreciate at the time. But we are to trust in the Lord and pray and still depend on him. Well, prayer is what Moses did, verse 4. Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The people should have asked him to pray, or prayed on their own at least, but they, they didn't do that. Verse 5. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. This uh, rod, as you know, uh, was uh, used uh, uh, to smite the river Nile, uh, and, it, and it turned uh, from water into blood. And uh, it was a rod at that time of, of judgment. Take that rod in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. Well, this uh, rock, uh, a large, uh, outstanding rock, and uh, here Moses is bidden to strike, to smite the rock with that uh, rod of judgment, a rod also that worked uh, wonders. The Lord was present uh, probably uh, in that cloud form uh, there upon the rock. The elders were present to be as eyewitnesses uh, and when Moses struck the rock, and when Moses struck the rock, well, exactly, in obedience to the Lord, oh, the waters, they came gushing out of the rock. How can waters come out of a rock? But they did in this case. And they came out, friends, like a river. It didn't trickle down out of the rock. It came forth like streams and rivers. We read in Psalm 78 and verse 16, he brought streams out of the rock, and cause waters to run down like rivers. There was a, a, a more than enough. There was plenty uh, of water there to quench the thirst of all the, the millions, uh, the two million people and all their cattle. And everyone was refreshed by uh, the waters. And we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 
and verse 4, that the rock is a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says there, they did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Christ. Christ here is represented uh, as a type. The Christ, just as the rock was smitten by Moses, so also Christ was smitten and bruised uh, for our sins and for our iniquities when he died upon the cross, when he was crucified. Smitten by God, but oh, we could say smitten uh, by judgment. That rod of judgment fell upon him for us, for us who believe in him. And we know that when that soldier pierced his side, well, the blood and the water came gushing out. Out of the Lord Jesus Christ have flowed the, all the blessings of grace that we need and that we receive and by which we are spiritually revived and refreshed. Forgiveness, pardon for all our sins, life, spiritual life, spiritual reviving, all these things, heaven uh, come to us uh, through uh, the, the, uh, the smiting of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without him being smitten, well, none of these things, friends, would be ours. Now, this river is very interesting because it didn't just flow and then ebb away and, and that, that was the end of it. No, we, it actually uh, followed the Israelites all the days that they were in the wilderness, right on, up until uh, then, uh, the next time when Moses was asked uh, to, to, to speak to the rock but he actually smote the rock. But all those days, wherever they went, up and down, from camp to camp, that river followed them in a miraculous way and provided for them uh, all the sustenance uh, that they need. And again, that's a lesson for us. Grace and blessings of Christ, friends, uh, will be ours in plentiful supply all the days of our life. Psalm 23 Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. For the Lord provides, not in meager, not in drips and drabs, he provides for us in abundance to sustain our life. Well, verse 7, the, the name here is given a double-barrel name. He called the name of the place Massa, which means testing, and then Meribah, which means a contention because of the children of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not in verse 8 the scene changes we read here then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim the internal contentions and strivings are put to one side and now they have to contend with an outside force, with an enemy that uh, attacks, uh, is, attacks them. This is the first time uh, that they uh, come under attack, the first battle that they are going to have to engage in. Amalek uh, is the descendants of Saul, Esau, and here they are confronting uh, Israel, ready not just to attack them, but to wipe them out, it seems. That's the, the intention. Uh, 
Why, why were they so opposed? Why did they come out to battle against uh, Israel? Well, it may well be that they were, uh, they thought the Israelites were encroaching upon their territory, their land, was such a great number. Perhaps they were afraid they were going to settle in their land. Perhaps there was something of that, but it seems to be something more than that. It seems to be uh, that they're actually uh, intent on putting out Israel altogether to exterminate the whole company of them, to wipe out their name from the face of the earth. That seems to be behind them, because if you read in verse 14, the Lord says this is what he would do uh, uh, in response. I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Those are very strong words from the Lord. So it must be more than just they were protecting their territory. They must have been out to actually uh, remove and destroy Israel entirely. And of course, we know that they are, they are driven uh, by the enemy. They're driven by the devil. This is the ambition. The promised seed, we know, is in Israel. Is going to come from Israel. The Messiah, the Savior, is going to arise from Israel. So this uh, uh, first attack uh, upon them is very significant because it's uh, showing to us uh, how the, the attempts of the enemy are going to be ever, not only upon Israel, but on, on the church. This is to do but with the church because the Israel is a type of the church. And when you read about Israel and what hap what's happening with Israel here in the wilderness, we're thinking as well about the church and the lessons of the church. And here we know that the church is uh, also under attack. There is a spiritual battle that is going on, an ongoing, relentless uh, fight, uh, attack of the, of the devil against the church of Jesus Christ to destroy it, to wipe it out uh, if it can. And that's... Uh, what we see uh, even here in this first attack of uh, Amalek. Well, in verse 9 to 13, uh, we are given the battle strategy, or rather the Lord gave to Moses the battle strategy for the spiritual warfare. It's very simple. Fight and pray. Fight, go out into the, war field, in, into the battlefield, send Joshua out, and Moses is going to go onto the top of the mount and pray. Uh, verse 9, Moses said unto Joshua, uh, Choose us out, this is the first mention of Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. Now, we learn from Deuteronomy chapter 25 that Amalek has actually already uh, had a go. He's already wiped uh, away uh, those who were in the rear of uh, Israel, those who were coming up from behind. Uh, Amalek has already attacked the weak and the tired who were, who were somewhat lagging behind. It's a bit of a coward, really. Uh, but here we see that uh, the real battle uh, begins. So uh, he's to go out. Uh, Joshua is to go out into the, uh, to fight with Amalek on the very next day. And Moses will go to a the top of the hill, a very visible place where all Joshua and all the, the soldiers who were fighting with him could see. And he was going to stand on that hill and he's going to raise the, the rod in, uh, two, with his two hands. And uh, we read in verse 10, 
So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Moses doesn't do things alone. He knows he's going to need support and help. Verse 11, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand because they were, he was weary, Amalek prevailed. And then when Moses' hands were heavy, uh, when he was very weary, they took a stone and he put it under him and he sat down thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and they held up his hands steady until the going down of the sun. A long day. It was a long day for, for Moses to be holding up his hands. I don't know how long you can hold up your hands for. I think I would struggle for a few minutes. It's, it's quite a, a, a task to do. Uh, you can try it if you like. But uh, Moses there was standing for one whole day. Thankfully, he, uh, he had Aaron and her uh, to uh, support him. But uh, as, so interesting, isn't it? Such a wonderful picture. As his hands were up and the rod was held high, Joshua advanced. Joshua uh, made progress. The uh, Amalek was uh, uh, defeated. But as his hands uh, came down and began to sag a bit, well, uh, Amalek, the, the tables turned, and Amalek seemed to be getting the better of uh, Israel. And so his hands had to be uh, lifted up. Verse 13, Joshua discomforted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. That's at the end of the day. What a vivid picture, friends, of spiritual warfare and the importance of prayer. Prayer is so vital. Without prayer, well, uh, we cannot achieve anything. We have to do both. We have to work and we have to pray. We have to evangelize. We have to do Sunday school. We have to preach the gospel. We have to engage in personal conversation. We have to work, but that's not enough. We must pray. Alongside that, we have to intercede earnestly to God and beg of Him to bless our efforts and to bring down that blessing, as it were, from heaven. We must continue to lift up our hands to God in prayer, praying that God would advance uh, his work amongst us, praying that the s souls may be saved and never giving up a prayer. Friends, prayer makes a real difference. We must not think that God has ordained everything so I will just leave it be. No, friends, prayer really makes a difference. God, in, as a part of his decree, includes prayer. But prayer really does change things and make an effect. If we leave off prayer, if we cease to pray, we won't make any progress as a church. We won't make any progress into the neighborhood. No souls will be one if we do not pray. And the opposite may happen even. The enemy may prevail with us. He may bring in discord. He may split the church. He may do other things. He may bring us to coldness or whatever. But we won't... Be any, there won't be any advance on our part. We must continue, friends, in prayer. A standing in the gap. We must feel this is really important to pray. 
This is really vital and crucial that I pray as an individual every day and that I also pray together with God's people. You see, you can even make an argument for corporate prayer from here because Moses, Aaron, and her, they were all praying together. And it's so vital uh, for us if we, uh, if we are concerned for the Lord's kingdom that we say, I must be at a prayer meeting. I want to be there. I want to uh, be together with God's people uh, to pray and uh, to intercede uh, for souls and for the work. It's not easy to pray. Some people say it's very easy to pray. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. I think it's a hard uh, uh, thing at times. Sometimes we have liberty. But here we see even it's uh, uh, Joshua. Uh, he found it uh, easier to fight. Uh, he didn't tire in the battle, but Moses got tired. And uh, it's, it's a bit of a lesson, isn't it, that it's easier to fight than to pray. Matthew Henry says, uh, the more spiritual any service is, the more we are apt to fail and flag in it. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's true. Well, we need to be friends uh, with this workers and intercessors. Some people say, oh, I'm just an intercessor. I won't do any work. Well, that's not good, unless we are incapacitated in some way, you know, by sickness or age catches up with us. Oh, we understand that. The Lord understands that and doesn't expect uh, us. But if we're able and uh, willing and, and fit, well, we should be uh, both workers and intercessors. And uh, the Lord uh, blesses. This is the way instrumentality, uh, this is the way the Lord uh, causes his work to advance. One interesting point here as well. Uh, I don't think I'm taking it too far, but we see here Aaron, uh, sorry, uh, Joshua, uh, he advanced, he was successful, uh, he discomforted Amalek uh, uh, and his people with the edge of the sword. He was victorious. And we could say, he, well, he was victorious because Moses was praying. So also we could say, uh, we as believers are kept and we advance uh, as well to a certain degree because we have in heaven uh, an intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is praying for us. That's why we are kept day after day. Well, verse 13 again, Joshua discomforted uh, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The word there means to be, he laid, to lay them low, to subdue them. They're not going to be entirely uh, subdued, uh, but uh, they are going to be given a defeat here. But we read uh, later in verse 16, the Lord had sworn that the Lord would have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is going to be an ongoing battle with Amalek. And we see them again and again rising up with Saul. He should have killed them, the Am Amalekites, but he didn't. David uh, had a had battle with them, and even uh, Esther uh, and Haman. Haman was uh, uh, probably from the Amalekites as well. And you see even there how he sought to destroy and get rid of uh, the Jews. Well, very typical of what we see uh, here. But uh, So this is going to be an ongoing battle uh, from generation to generation. And the same for us. The spiritual battle doesn't cease until the Lord returns. Well, just going back to verse 14, the Lord said, 
write this for a memorial in a book. Uh, it's like a diary, a record, and rehearse it in the years of Joshua. This is the first time we uh, read about writing, keeping a written record. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Joshua needs to hear it. He's going to be the commander uh, soon of the army. He's going to be advancing into the Canaan, uh, leading the people into Canaan. So things like this need to be uh, kept in remembrance for him and for others. And verse 15, Moses built an altar, called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, because the Lord had sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And just that last bit, because the Lord had sworn, it doesn't quite make fully a sense uh, perhaps here, but uh, another rendering of the Hebrew here uh, actually says, because the hand of Amalek is against the throne of the Lord. Because he is against the throne of the Lord, therefore the Lord will have war with him from generation to generation. So friends, uh, remember these things. Make prayer a priority. Make corporate prayer a priority for you. See the value of it. Remember what the prayer makes a difference. Remember that God moves in response to our prayers. Well, may God bless us in these things. Amen.